Hello students, as I told you in my previous class, uh, in this audio segment, I will be leading a discussion on Cleanne Brooks's essay, The Language of Paradox. Now, this essay appeared or appeared or was published in the year 1956 and this essay appears in the collection Well Wrought On. And from the title, it is clear that Brooks, is, uh, Brooks intends to discuss on paradox. So, Cleon Brooks, he is a writer who belongs to the school of New Criticism. And as we all know, New Criticism promoted close reading. He begins the essay stating that None of us would accept that language of poetry is the language of paradox. Some of the best poems that we have today, they are popular because the writers have made use of paradoxical situations or paradoxical lines, etc. So he begins this essay stating that none of us would agree that the language of poetry is the language of paradox. Because paradox is generally thought as the language of sophistry, it is thought as the language of wit and it is never thought as, as the language of the soul. People generally believe that if a writer writes an essay, he can use paradox. If it is an epigram, again paradoxes or paradox can be employed. If it is a satire, yes, paradox is useful. But generally speaking, people will never think about the connection between a poem and paradox. Brooks goes on to say that there is a sense in which la paradox is the language appropriate and inevitable to poetry. Or there are some elements in a poem which make paradox as the right kind of device of a poet. He tells or he cites the example of a scientist. He adds that when a scientist says a truth, the truth must be purged of or must be devoid of every trace of paradox. But when a poet utters a truth, that truth can be approached only in terms of paradox. As Shakespeare has famously said, the lover, the lunatic and the poet, the poet the lover, the lunatic and the poet are of imagination all compact. They give to airy nothings a local habitation and a name. So poetry works on imagination or in other terms, imagination is the building block of poetry. So the language of poetry is the language of paradox.
proves it at this point, cites the example of William Wordsworth in order to drive home his idea. He says that although the poems of William Wordsworth, they are devoid of paradox, there are situations where Wordsworth has made use of paradox. Normally, Wordsworth is a poet who makes a direct attack. Uh, he insists on simplicity and he objects whatever is uh, witty, whatever is intellectual. But there are instances, there are situations in the poems of William Wordsworth where he has preferred situations or instances that are paradoxical. So yesterday we discussed about the language of paradox, why paradox is important, why Brooks states that language of poetry is the language of paradox. Moving on, we when we think of poetry in general, if we analyze it closely, new, critic, uh, new criticism we know that it detaches a text from the author and reader and focuses on those aspects or structural aspects. So when we look at a poem or when we analyze a poem, we will realize that a poem is made of contradictions. And poetry, we can say in quotes, it is made up of opposing ideas, attitudes and feelings that are balanced. So poetry is made up of the language of, made. I'm sorry, made up of a language of paradox, which means that there are contradictions inherent in poetry. Uh, having stated that, let me uh, move on to some examples that Brooks mentions in his essay. Leanne Brooks, he discusses some of Wordsworth's finest poems and he invites her attention to the paradox that he has put in those poems which the readers may not be aware of. He states after discussing those poems, he states that uh, in Lyrical Ballads, in the preface to the second edition of Lyrical Ballads, Wordsworth stated that uh, the general purpose of Lyrical Ballads was, in quotes, to choose incidents and situations from common life, but to treat them in such a way that Ordinary things should be presented to the mind in an unusual aspect. Thus, Cleanne uh, Brooks, he is of the view that Wordsworth was consciously attempting to show his audience that the language of poetry cannot be devoid of paradox because it is natural for a poet to use the language of paradox because language is vague and when we take a word in another context, it may not mean the same idea that it conveyed earlier. So, 
poetry consciously or unconsciously it works through the language of paradox and Klein Brooks he says that Wordsworth was attempting to show his audience that the common was really uncommon and the prosaic was really poetic that is contradictions there are contradictions in poetry and as a matter of fact what you should do is you should read the essay which i will be sharing in your classroom group not uh, google classroom but your uh, whatsapp group and you have to tell me the contradictions present in the lines we may not be uh, able to detect it at once but there are contradictions at the surface there are contradictions between the lines there are contradictions between the ideas there are contradictions so clean uh, brooks he analyzes in the first part of the essay he analyzes the poems some major poems of william wordsworth and concludes that wordsworth has unconsciously employed paradox because as stated in his preface he may not have consciously stated it as stated in the preface to lyrical ballads he has chose incidents and situations from common life but he has treated the ordinary things in an unusual aspect because the language of poetry there are minimal words and with those minimal words we have to convey our idea so a poet in in the long that is when he writes when he is ready to write a poem or during the process of writing a poem he finally he unconsciously makes use of paradox we discussed about wordsworth when we think of coleridge we know that he also merged or he presented natural things in an unnatural manner so coleridge's terms the charm of novelty to things of everyday notice the words novelty to things of everyday then another term awakening the mind awakening the mind so there is a sense of wonder in the poems of romantic period there is a sense of wonder there is an element of surprise there is a sense of revelation which puts the familiar world in a new light and we can say that this element of wonder is the raison d'etre raison d'etre means the reason for existence or is the motto is the highlight of the poems of romantic period so wonder defines romantic poetry there is an element of wonder and when we move from romantic age to neoclassical age we can see that the neoclassical poets have also made use of paradox but paradox in neoclassical poetry tends or it turns more to irony it it is more ironical in nature paradox there is 
paradox in the works of neoclassical theory but the paradoxes employed by neoclassical writers especially Pope uh, they are ironical in nature so again to repeat it once more the sense of wonder is the reason debtor or the reason for most of most romantic paradoxes and when we move from romantic age to neoclassical age we will see that the neoclassical poets have also made use of paradox for creating wonder but their paradox insists on the irony rather than the wonder so there was this demand for wonder or need of wonder when wordsworth and coleridge thought of poems and in order to create that sense of wonder they made use of paradox when we come to uh, pop in uh, the essay clean brooks has made use of pop's work essay on man when we come to pop we can see that there is a sense of wonder but it tilts more towards irony and we find a blend of the two wonder and irony in poems of william blake in tear sorry in poems of william blake then grace elegy written in a country churchyard in coleridge's ancient mariner so wonder and irony merge in these writers probably you might have heard of critics discussion about grace elegy written in a country churchyard there is a line can storied urn or animated burst back to its mansion called the fleeting breath so the question raised by the poet is can an urn or the burst bust of a person bring back life the answer is obviously no because he himself the writer himself calls breath as fleeting see there is a tilt towards irony then again another question raised by the poet in elegy written in a country churchyard is can honor's voice provoke the silent dust or flattery soothe the dull cold ear of death can the dead people arise or will they be awake or will they awaken when if they hear some voice but again the answer is no because the writer himself calls death as the dull cold ear of death so there is a tendency or there is a move towards irony in the poems of uh, blake gray and uh, coleridge's rhyme of the ancient mariner so 
wonder and irony are mixed in these poets. So when we analyze the these lines of grey, now words are very common. We also use words like back, mansion, fleeting. But when the words are arranged in a particular order, when the words are uh, connected in a particular order, the meaning changes, the idea changes. So, it is because of this reason that paradoxes are important. So, you know about connotation and denotation. Denotation is the primary or the literal meaning of a word and connotation is the additional idea or the additional meaning that we give to a particular word. So, connotation is as important as denotation because poem works on connotations and it is because of this reason that paradox is important because the poet, unlike a scientist, has to make up his language as he goes. Or during the process of writing a poem, a poet has to make up his language. A scientist has some ready-made words. He has some fixed words. But unlike a scientist, a poet has to make up his language as he goes, which suggests that language of poetry is the language of paradox. Kian Hoops at this point quotes T.S. Eliot who has commented upon the perpetual slight alteration of language. Perpetual means frequent. So a poet frequently changes his choice of words, frequently changes the way he arranges or puts words, he arranges words. So words are juxtaposed in new and sudden combinations. Think about metaphysical poetry. When we define metaphysical poetry, we define it as heterogeneous ideas are yoked by violence together. So this Bringing together of opposite terms, opposite ideas, it is frequent in poetry. It is a never-ending process in poetry. It is perpetual in poetry. A poet works by contradiction and qualification. A scientist, on the other hand, he works by strict denotations. A poet work. I'm sorry. A poet tendency is disruptive or he works by contrast on the other hand a scientist works by denotations so in poetry we see that terms continuously modify each other violating their dictionary meanings look at these lines of William Wordsworth in quotes it is a beauteous evening calm and free the holy time is quiet as a nun, breathless with adoration. I will repeat the lines once again. It is a beauteous evening, calm and free. The holy time is quiet as a nun, breathless with adoration. Let us take some words from the above lines. Calm, free, breathless. These words have a dictionary meaning. 
but when they are used by William Wordsworth, it denotes a completely new out-of-the-box idea. Breathless, when we go by its dictionary meaning, breathless refers to a kind of excitement. It is coupled with the words calm and quiet. It is a juxtaposing of two different terms or two different ideas. But at the end of it all, when Wordsworth tries to make his point clear, he brings a new idea by juxtaposing these contradictory words.